superpowers on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that lifts the voice of love from orgasms to superpowers and everything in between. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sex, Love, and Superpowers podcast show. I'm your host, Tatiana Berendey, and today I have with me Aaron Delaney, and we are going to be talking about teens, sex, and self-worth. Let me tell you a little bit about Erin. Uh, She has worked with hundreds of women over the last 25 years, guiding them in the areas of self-expression, empowerment, and sexual integrity. With a background in dance, yoga, and refined communication skills, as well as an MA in the healing arts, she's also worked with children and teens in schools, youth programs, camps, and psychiatric hospitals throughout the U.S., in Europe, and in Mexico. As an advocate for women and girls claiming their truth and sexual integrity, through her mother-daughter empowerment coaching, online courses, and retreats, Erin focuses her attention on helping mothers celebrate and guide their daughters to be sexually empowered beings. Welcome to the show, Erin Delaney. Thank you so very much. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really happy to have you and excited to have this conversation. I feel like um, we don't talk a lot about teens and sex in our culture other than to say like don't have it right so that's right so I'm, I'm really that's right really happy that you're that you're doing the work that you're doing that you've agreed to come on the show and talk about it um, but before we launch into that I would love it if you would tell us what your superpowers are my superpowers um it's such a cool question I don't think I've ever been asked that before um one of my superpowers that I hear people say again and again is that I have an ability to be able to normalize their experiences, whether it's a teen or a Mm. woman or a man that I work with. I normalize who they are and let them know that there's nothing wrong with them. They're just human, having a human experience, which includes a variety of wonderments and fascinations and complications and all of that. So I help them, uh, I help calm anxiety just by, by normalizing where they are. Mm. And and then from there, guide them to take some some powerful steps forward. And a huge piece of that is I've I've been studying with a lot of spiritual teachers throughout my life since my early twenties, and I've gained so many tools and so much deep knowledge of of the higher vision of what's potentially happening, and different ways. I, I know I offer frames that are unique. Um, they're not unique to me or the, or the people that I you know spend time with necessarily, but they're unique often to my clients and to, sure. to people. Just and it feels like my experience is that it taps into some level of deep truth in them that no one gave them permission to see before or to view before, because we're so caught up in the outer, the outer. Um, I would say negative pulls of of competition and differentiation and. And separation, it's just like the game that's played all around us from advertisement to social media to, you know, TVs and movies and songs and all of it. And it's a game. And from that perspective of seeing it as a game and then you choose which way you want to play it is um, that in of itself is a, is a superpower that people don't often know that they hold. Yeah. Because totally. they've not been taught. Yeah. So, so that was, that's my biggest one. Beautiful. And I I really love the question. It's, it's so powerful. Thank you. Yeah. I get the, I get the great honor to ask some people that question for the first time, like yourself. I've never been asked it before. Mm -hmm. um, It's one of the, one of the really fun parts about this 
this gig here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, working with teens and sex and mothers of teens, I'm sure at this point in your journey, you've come across some really common threads. And I, and I would just love to hear from you, like, what's, what's one of the most common things that you run into? Maybe, maybe one of the most common myths that you find you have to bust when you start working with a mom of a teenage girl. Awesome. So one of the big myths is that moms often believe if they start talking to their daughter about, I work specifically with, at this point with moms of daughters, though I want to move more into to working with boys and, and fathers as well. Mm-hmm. But I, one of the typical things is I think if I talk about it, then they're going to go out and do it. So I don't want to be the one to introduce them to things like sex or oral sex or all different kinds of things, right? Or rape or whatever it is that they're afraid to. So they think I'm going to hold off until I feel like they're ready to hold that, to understand that. And it is a myth because it's not true, or at least it's not my experience of it being true that if we talk about it, they're going to go out and experiment with it. And two, when they hold off, they've already heard about it anyway from people that you probably would rather them not hear about it from the first time, for the first time. So it's, I, I, I come across this again and again and again, and I was also one that held that experience of my own daughter, who's now 18. You know, I held that belief as well. And uh, I waited, I'm not going to say I waited too late. I did talk about it a little bit with her for sure, but there's so much more I could have shared with her and told her before she chose to be sexual, which in her case was a very young age um, with, so, with her partner. Mm-hmm. So when when is the right time to talk about it? It's mm, a great question. And it's not an easy answer because I don't think there is a right time necessarily exactly. Um, there's one book called The Talk by Dr. Sharon Maxwell. And she speaks of nine with all that's happening with social media, at least by nine is when we should start talking about practically all of it, like really opening up about um, many, many things. So nine is really young for some people. And some people start earlier. I mean, there's ways of starting even earlier um, without talking about it bluntly and directly. There's ways of, you know, of, of in particular, when I talk about talking about it, let's just, let's just speak about what that is. People mm-hmm. often, often think, well, number one, people often think it's just one talk. It's the way mm-hmm. it used to be with most of us. Oh, the talk which the book, you know, the book, the talk is actually kind of a, uh, a joke title, meaning that's, that it's not at all was of what she recommends, which most people don't now. We know it's an ongoing dialogue. Yeah. And then within it, people often think it's just about sex. But, you know, let me just tell you about intercourse and then let's don't talk about it again. You know, maybe some people might include masturbation or things like that. But that's the way it used to be more. And now we know it's many conversations. And it's many different topics and the topics are becoming even more expansive than they were when we were young, like right. sexual, like sexual orientation. Like that was one that I don't remember my parents speaking about ever. Um, like consent, right? That's a big cons- one right Consent is the biggest one. Consent is the biggest one. So when you speak of when do we start talking, the consent piece is actually something we need to teach by experience, by, by role modeling it. Yes. So, and I'll admit that I did not do that so well. In some ways, I did, we did, my husband and I did great. On, in other areas, we didn't. So the whole piece of, you know, even asking if I can come up and hug my daughter 
as, as opposed to just assuming because I'm her mother, I can hug her or kiss her whenever I want to. And that's not necessarily true at all. Like there's a place of respectful asking. And, you know, I, I missed that when she was younger. She didn't push away. She was a child that happened to be super affectionate, which was great, but other children were not, you know? So it's like, I could have easily had a child that wasn't. And there were times, especially when she started getting into puberty, that she didn't want me to hug her anymore. And I still broke that boundary. Mm. I didn't honor it, partly unconsciously, just because I was used to cuddling and hugging and kissing and like that. So sometimes it was unconscious and like, oh yeah, thank you. And sometimes I even caught myself doing it like out of a little, I'm embarrassed to say this. I remember hugging her goodbye at an airport and I went to hug her and she resisted it. I think she must've been like 10 or something. And I did it anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's important for me to say that, like to, to really acknowledge, I mean, you know, we laugh about a lot of the mistakes I made now. We've talked about it immensely, but that's one of them of, wow, I really, you know, I, I know the place of, I hugged her anyway, even without her consent. So it was how I was raised, by the way, and not to put my parents down, but there's definitely a lot of um, affection and yet sometimes unwanted affection. Yeah. And my father didn't honor that. So I have bits of that in me. So the, the piece about how early it's like, if we look first at the whole big picture of what does it mean to talk about sexuality? It's, it's a broader picture in terms of when it starts, because also about learning about their young, ideally, learning about all of their body, including their vagina, including their nipples, including what's even, you know, deeper behind their vagina. You know, when do we start talking about that? I don't know the exact time, but at least by nine, I think it's a whole, the female anatomy is, you know, if we... If we hold it as mothers, as parents, with utter fascination, which I hold it as that, um, and we get, you know, a lot of mothers have to get through their own discomfort of their own sexuality and their own body because we weren't taught to honor it or to know about it. So that's a huge piece of it. So the place of um, learning about it ourselves, which is an always interesting thing to teach that we still have to learn ourselves as women about our own body. And as well as our own self-pleasure or pleasure, period, not even just self-pleasure, but pleasure, period, um, and the different parts of the, of the female anatomy, including all the different arousal zones, which is, which is way more than we were ever even taught. And even as women and adult women, we still don't all know our dif- different pleasure zones. Yeah, it's, I, there's, there's so much, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to launching into this with you. We do have to go to a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to dive in because there's, there's a lot to talk about here. Um, mm-hmm. And I know we're not going to cover it all in one interview, but I'm, I'm really excited to, to dive in deeper. Before we go to break, can you just tell our listeners where they can go to find out more about you and your work? Sure. You can go to www.motherdaughterempowerment.com. Mother Daughter Empowerment. And there's a, um, a free article about how to avoid shaming your daughter when it comes to sexuality, which you're more than welcome to, to take and read. It's, it's got some really valuable pieces in it. Beautiful. So we've been talking with Erin Delaney about teens, sex, and self-worth. More when we get back. So stay tuned. <laughs> 
Are you here to change the world? Do you talk about things like vibration, frequency, awakening, and consciousness? Are you pretty sure you have superpowers? The Superpower Net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities. We provide training, intuitive guidance, peer-to-peer learning, intensive one-on-one coaching, and a high vibrational network of people just like you. When you join the Net, you get 24-7 access to a collaborative group of people who support you as you master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you're ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the Superpower Net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. All right, we're back. Um, so we were talking about consent right before the break. And and also, you know, you're starting to go into all of our different erogenous zones. And I feel like, that, like it opens up such a can of worms for moms. Because like you said, you know, there's a lot of adult women who don't know and how, and how can you teach something to your daughter that you're not in touch with in your right. own self, right? And there's so, I mean, we're talking about this concept of self-worth. There's so much wrapped up in, in our own self-worth. I know, again, not to, you know, I'm, the last thing I want to do is like shame moms and, and put oh. more on our plate, right? Because we're in such a culture of mom shaming that I don't want to contribute to that. But I do think, and I think we know whether we really want to acknowledge and face it or not, like we know because of what was modeled to us, like my mom wasn't standing in her self-worth. That wasn't taught to her. And she had a lot of experiences to negate that. But it's like, that is something that I internalized really young. Is that like, I don't, I don't get to feel good and juicy or like there's something wrong mm-hmm. if I do feel good and juicy in myself. Um, so I would just love to hear a little bit about how you how you navigate that with moms and and what that looks like in terms of how it's impacting our teen daughters. Yeah. So, um, you know, using my superpower here, I want to say that it is normal. It's very normal, and it was normal for me. Meaning, I didn't know a whole lot when my daughter was. You know, now I know much much more. My daughter's eighteen, but when she was, you know, a blossoming teen sexual being at, for her, it was a younger age at around 12, 11, 12. She, um, I didn't know a whole lot of things that I know now. So I had to learn it. My commitment was when I became aware of how, like in my particular case of where I was unconsciously shaming her and she brought that to my attention. It was actually a very powerful moment in our relationship when she brought to my attention, how I was not standing beside her. I was Mm. instead putting her down, um, the way she wore her makeup, the way she wore, the size of bra she wore, the padded bra she wore, how she was a boys, how she dressed. So I was doing these subtle shaming to her and I didn't even know it. So it was such an awakening to me of, oh my God, I'm repeating the same pattern that my mother did. Mm -hmm. And I hated it and it hurt. And it took, you know, obviously it was still playing on me because I was repeating it and had no intention and didn't even know I was doing it. So I committed at that point to doing whatever I had to do to clear out the sexual shame in my being so I could be an ally for her and stand by her as a female and support and celebrate her sexuality. Mm -hmm. So that's a big one. So you're saying, how do I work with moms? Uh, Making it normal, first of all. And second of all, I I teach online courses for moms and we cover a lot. And one thing we cover is, you know, the sexual anatomy and the erogenous zones and like that. And I definitely, I you know, I can hear the ones that are, that, that want to speak up about it. of like, wow, I didn't even know this, which is like, yes. And that's normal. So we're learning it. 
as I'm teaching them how to guide their daughters. So it's an it's intriguing thing that I think that is a key piece. I'm also having a mother-daughter retreat together where we learn together and we will, a lot of mothers will be learning as the same time their daughter is learning and they're teaching them yeah. or guiding them. And I and think it's, it's, okay. so, it's so important to like, to take the shame and the stigma around that away. Like it's okay that you don't know these things about your body, yes. even though you're a grown woman, because there's a lot of shame in there. And I think a lot of times we don't talk about it or we don't, we don't teach it because we have shame that we don't know about it. Absolutely. And it is normal. And you know what, what I've discovered as well is that when we do admit, okay, this is something I don't know, but I will go check it out. You know, like, our like what if my daughter asks me a question that I don't know Then just say, I don't know, I'm going to go check it out. Or I'm also going to, or I, I think I know, but the truth is a lot of research has been done since I was a teen and first looked at this, or since I was a young woman and just, so let me, let me, let's go look this up together or let me right. check it out. And there's, and what also, what I notice is that the, the girls get a little bit of, of history lesson in that as well, which is right. really powerful because I think teaching about the history of female oppression is really important. So they know where they stand and where they, and, you know, the powerful place that they're standing at in time right now with their mother, who's also learning things that she was told not to learn and, or we didn't even freaking know our mother's did not even know, right. like not even that they, society didn't know. A lot of information has been hidden, purposely hidden. When, I, when, you, when you start looking in, into the history of it and studying behind the scenes of who the scientists that even did know some of these pieces of information, but they kept it because it was under the, I don't, I'm not very good at knowing all this exactly, but basically under a certain constrictive medical, I'm assuming governmental, I don't even know, but there's a, and religious for certain of keeping it back of holding the information back. Mm -hmm. So once we're aware of that, I mean, I had to tap into, I was aware of it slightly, you know, I had, I like in, intellectually, I could say, Oh yeah, well, the female has been oppressed and there's a purpose for it. But when I had the body work done, I had some really intense spirit, uh, excuse me, sexual healing work done. And I literally found spots in my body where I could see it flash before me. Oh my God. Like, of course, shut down a woman's sexuality. You shut down parts of her brain. You shut down her power. Like, yeah. duh, of course. So, but it, to find it in my body brought it alive in a whole different way to me and, 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 you know, threw me into this work even more deeper than ever. So, so I, let's talk about this for a second. Cause you know, you mentioned like, that you were sort of putting your daughter down around her makeup or her, her bra size or and all of these things. And I, you know, my guess is that there's some piece that was acting there that was afraid of what might happen to her if she stepped into that power. And if she didn't know how to wield it appropriately, like, I think that's a fear that a lot of moms of teenage girls have and probably dads too, you know, that like, if my daughter really takes this sexual power on, um, she could get in trouble. She could get, she could get an hurt. STD. She could get, she could get raped. She could end up pregnant. Like all of these storylines, right? Like how do you, how do you navigate that with parents? Mm, beautiful. Yeah. That's a very common thing behind it. Um, for certain in my particular case, and it could be the case of a lot of moms too, there was a second part of it, which was, I was also ashamed of my, or, uh, uh concerned about my own reputation as a mother to mm. have a daughter that, that was that sexual. 
Mm-hmm. So it was my own ego as well. When I really started digging, it was like, first and foremost is the fear of her getting hurt. Bottom line, like that was definitely up front. But was also, but what was also a huge piece of it was my own. Uh, what will people think? Well, yeah. you know. So I want to own that for certain, and I and and invite people that if that is a possible possibility as well, that's normal. It's okay. And there and there's your work. There's a piece of our work, right? So the navigating around um, the dangers, it, the dangerous part of you know everything, like you're saying, rape, STDs, pregnancy. I certainly shared all of that with her. I mean, once I saw that she was being sexually active, and again, in her case, it was young, and she gives me permission to say that it was twelve that she was sexually active with her boyfriend. And uh, um, excuse me, <clears throat> of course, I covered, and I'd already covered some of it as well. But we talked about it. You know, I don't know if you remember. Well, I remember very clearly when I was a teen. It's like I heard it, and I still made my own choices. So there uh-huh. is that. There is that. Although I did hear it, it wasn't like I was that crazy careless. But there were certainly ways that I, you know, did it anyway or did whatever it was. Right. Mm-hmm. So there was definitely that. Um, but and to me, if the the scary parts are not balanced with the beautiful parts, I think it causes a different kind of relationship. So let's see, let me me back up and see if I can say this clearly. I think if, if our daughters are empowered sexually, which has to do with, you know, giving them the full picture, including their erogenous zones, including the joy and incredibleness of having sex, of being sexual, in, the, in its full arrangement, I mean, array of what it is for each different person, whether it's female-female or, or female-male or whatever is true for each person, but giving them a full picture of all the different ways and, and then letting her, them know that you know, their choices, people's individual choices are different. Like giving them that full picture and the beautiful celebration of it. Mm-hmm. And then as well as, and here's the danger zones. Here's the, here's the areas to be really careful for. Here's the, even the kind of comments that you may hear from males that I don't think are appropriate. And right. here's how you can handle it. You know, but just giving them a full picture and then they can make the choice. And again, going back to that very first thing, that myth, oh, if I give them a full picture, then they're going to run out and try every one of them, including anal sex or this or that. It's like, not necessarily because if you've given them the confidence and you speak of it in a way of making none of it wrong, but saying, and it's your choice at every moment because you are, you know, you are an individual empower their, their freedom, their choice, their right to say what, yes, the right to say no, the right to say yes. And then change the no. Like if, if all of that is included, then the scary bits, the rape, the SEDs, the pregnancy, is a part of it, but it's not the main driving force. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. It's like, totally. it gives them, it gives them the delicious full picture and, yeah. and empowers them. Bottom line, it gives them power. Huge, and, huge, huge. Cause I think there's something about like enjoying sex and being able to be fully expressed and, and owning that. And also not just enjoying sex, but, but, but having enough self respect to be really clear on like who I am going to choose to allow into my body. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and like, like having that be a conversation too. Um, mm-hmm. Cause that's a whole thing in and of itself. It's like sex, it, sex doesn't feel great with just anybody. <laughs> you know? There are definitely right. some people with whom it feels better than with others. 
And absolutely. Um, and how do you, how, like, you know, how do you discern that? Um, I think that's a, that's a really important part of the conversation too. And what I'm seeing across the board is like, we have been sold sex and we have been sold as objects as women. And I really strongly believe that the more of us that know our power when it comes to sexuality and are really standing in it and owning it fully and it starts that young, like the less, the less power actually media and advertising and making us into sexual objects is going to have over time because we, we know the truth of, of what that power really is, not just as an object on a billboard but as like what that really feels like embodied. I love it. And then it's so beautiful. It's so true. So you can walk right past that stuff and like, eh. And you also set, like, I believe when we're in that empowered place, we also send out a certain vibe. And so oh. it's not going to even, it's not going to even attract the kind of ickiness that some people, you know, try to, you know, prey on certain women. It's just like, it, it doesn't even, my daughter even says that. I mean, she happens to have, when she's 18, she happens to have the kind of voluptuous body and that, you know, the long blonde hair and green eyes, you know, she does happen to have a typical, um, what people typically model. I'm going to say it really, really carefully. Cause I think I don't agree with this at all, but there's a certain you know, style that seems to go into the advertisements that people think are is, is the typical beauty. So she has that. So she does get a lot of, you know, cat calls and all kinds of attention, but she also knows the power of her force of just even, even be able to cast a certain look mm-hmm. that will move that, that, you know, men move away or boys move away, or it's usually men, actually it's older, but, um, you know, she kind of knows because she knows who she is in her body and, you know, people are not going to necessarily mess with that. Like, why would they? It's like, so unless, you know, she engages and she has a choice and like that, of course, but there is something about teaching that to girls as well. And even teaching and the teaching, the power that they have being in a female body, it's a lot of power. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is the body that creates life for God's sake. It's a powerful Mm -hmm. body, not just for sexual pleasure, but for many things. It's like, it can feed a baby. I mean, it's, it's a huge, incredible form and presence. And I have a, such a strong conviction that it does need, oof, I get chills before I even say it. It does need to be as a whole, the females that teach the males because it's our body. It's their body as well, of course, but it's in, in that interaction. If we don't know how to guide and say no and say yes, or whatever is true for us, if, yeah. that we have to guide it not because they're weak or not because they're anything. It's just, you know, we're, we're equal side by side and we have a different body and we have different reasons to be careful and we have different fragility in the way our form is. And there's many other reasons, but it's our, like I want to empower the girls to know it's not about what the guy wants, because I think on some level, the guys, the men are wanting us to step forward. Tell me what you need. Tell me what you want. Tell me, inform me about your body and, 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 you know, guide me to my high, to our highest pleasure because you know much more. Yeah. And I think that that's actually, I mean, if you're with a guy who, who doesn't want you to guide him in, in what feels good to you, that's a, that's a red flag right there. You know, that's a red flag. That's a big red flag. That's right. Yeah. And 
you know, bye-bye and move on or, or you know, however that works and, and, and also learning how to navigate it. You know, those are kind of things we talk about all the time. Just have, you know, what happens? Let's take some scenarios and what would you do here? What are some possibilities? Giving them some possibilities of what to say, of how to move your body, of how to move away, of making sure this and that, you know, all these different kinds of role plays, um, which are fun and funny sometimes and sometimes really touching. But regardless, they they plant things in the girls' brains and the women's brains for that matter, because it's not just girls. You know, it's definitely, I have many friends and, you know, I've been married for 20 years, so I haven't been in the dating scene for 20 years. <laughs> um, but, you know, I have many friends that are, and, you know, they face some wild shit, things that I did not face when we were young. And you probably didn't either. It's like, it's, it's, um, it's very different now. Yeah, technology has definitely changed the playing field. I've seen that too. I mean, I've been out of that, the dating scene for um, like 13 years, but, but yeah, I, 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 I see that with some of my clients and some of my friends as well who are, who are dating. It's like, it's a whole different ball game now. Mm-hmm. What's expected and um, yeah, all kinds of things. Yeah. And like also like what's expected. I mean, we're writing that storyline. Like we get to change that at any That's right. point in time. That's I'm, right. I'm totally not into conforming to what some cultural wave is going towards because a lot of times mm. it's pretty insane i've been um i i, I just want to thank you so much for for coming on the show today and, and having this conversation you know just in the in the spirit of normalizing things i've i've been reading this fascinating book called sex rules um by dr janice Zaro broadman um, I'm hoping to have her on the show, actually, because she goes around the world to all of these different cultures and explores what their sexual norms are. And, wow. and what, I, what I found so fascinating in so many different cultures around the world, teenagers, but especially teenage girls, are encouraged to be sexually active and to be sexually explorative. And it's just sort of understood that like your sexuality is coming into fruition at that time period and you should be exploring it and engaging in it and that's beautiful so i think like really like what the work that you're doing in in my opinion is really returning to a root of wholeness it's not introducing necessarily something new it's returning to something that got taken away (laughs) that's so beautiful yeah i love that yeah yeah yeah, in some cultures, they even have the girls, uh, or, or um, eat both sexes, explore with both sexes. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just a part of the ritual. I can't remember where I read that or when it was. I think it might have been Africa. I don't even remember, honestly. But that was a part of the sexual ritual, is that you're sent off into a room or the woods or something, I don't know, with, with a partner with the same sex and with a partner with the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. You get to you explore. Get to, you get to explore. Yeah. Amazing. So powerful. Yeah. So there's so much to this topic. Um, we're kind of running short on time, but before we go, I do want to hit on the topic of alcohol and sex. Cause I feel like we're not talking about it enough in our, I, I, when we're looking, looking at all these me too incidents and, and this eruption of sexual assault. And I'm seeing a very clear, consistent theme. Um, not all the time, but a lot of the time alcohol is involved. And, um, and I think we're really remiss if we're not including that in the conversation. So I, I, 
I'm just curious to sort of hear your perspective on that and how you dialogue about that with, with your daughter, with your clients. Hmm. It's so interesting. It's not, it's not a topic that we cover that much of in my clients so far with my clients so far um, with my daughter. I was never an alcohol person. I mean, still to this day, it's just not my thing. It's not my jam. So, you know, I tried a little bit when I was young as a teen and would throw up every time. So it's like, yeah, no, thanks. So, so alcohol has just not really been a big thing in our household, nor even in my upbringing. So there's, that's why it's a little bit alien to me. Although I, you know, I do meet people and, you know, she, and she also, my daughter tells me of things that go on at parties and she mm-hmm. certainly is, you know, alcohol is not totally her thing either, but other things are, or were, um, I don't know for sure now, but, um, you know, so, so therefore it's, it's a funny thing for me. Cause it's like, in my case, it's like, I don't even like, I never even had a beer in my life cause I don't like it. I've had mm-hmm. wine. And so I just don't even, I it's really hard for me to touch into this, tap into that topic, except such a clarity. And I did share with her, of course, when she was growing up, when she was younger, about how alcohol alters your perception. And that's when a lot of things happen. So it's best not to do that when you go to parties. I mean, eventually I taught her about the date drug mm-hmm. and alcohol. Actually, when you meet, I told her it was a friend that we were meeting with, a friend of mine, we met her for dinner. And she told her because she happened to tell how her sister had just had that experience of someone. Mm-hmm. She didn't get raped, thank God, but she's got the drug and called her sister in the bathroom. So I think that frightened my daughter enough. You know, it was kind of like a blessing, that moment of my friend just randomly telling that story in front of both of us. Mm-hmm. So she heard about that. And then so, you know, from then on, we, she must have been, oh, she was young, thir- 12 or 13, probably, when my mm-hmm. friend shared that, maybe 11. Um, so I feel pretty solid about that one with her. And she's pretty solid about it. And so, you know, how, I don't, again, it doesn't come up in conversation usually, even though I imagine that it should more. So I'm really grateful that you're bringing this up and reminding me about it. Yeah, um, it just, and it is huge. It feels like such a huge kind of elephant in the room that no one's actually talking about because we have this like culturally accepted drinking problem that gratefully is not in your family. And yet I'm seeing it, I'm seeing it everywhere. Um, yeah. And it's a, it's a thing and it plays into it and to pretend that it doesn't is foolish. And also to suggest that we, you know, like reinstate prohibition is foolish. Too. <laughs> it's, it, no, it's crazy. It's just totally, it is crazy. And one of the things I would say, because I've even shared this with one friend who is concerned about her teen daughter drinking. And I was like, well, but you drink every night. Like you drink a, she said, well, I just drink a glass of wine every night. And I said, yeah, but that's still you know, not to shame her, by the way, it wasn't about shaming, but she was really confused. I said, you might want to consider starting by not making that. I don't know. You know, it's really hard because this is my, this is just, this is just an area that's taboo for me. It's a funny thing. Not that alcohol itself, I don't think anything in itself is all bad. Not at all. I'll have a glass of wine or champagne every now and then for sure. So it's, but because it's just so alien to me, to, to, for people to have a fascination with it or a draw to it, it it's um, I'm just a little blank when it comes to this, except except to just note of how we, you know, our role as parents is important, and we are going to make mistakes. So it's not again like what you were saying earlier; it's not at all about shaming, right. but it's it's almost like this. 
it's the story. Okay, here's what it, this comes to mind right now. is a story of Gandhi where, I know we got to hurry, so I'm going to say this quickly, but someone came to Gandhi and said, you know, as his teacher and said, you know, my son has to, uh, my son has diabetes, we found out, and he can't eat sugar, but he keeps eating sugar. What do I do? And Gandhi said, come back to me in three days. And so he came, comes back in three days and he said, you yourself have to go without sugar. And he said, why didn't you tell me that three days ago? He says, because I was still eating sugar. So I had to go off it myself in order to, to empower you or to not he didn't say empower you. Who knows what he said, actually. But um, basically, I needed, to, I needed to experience it myself in order to give you the wisdom. The only way your child would, would do that is if you do that. Mm-hmm. Because you are, are setting the example. And it's just not fair. you know. And, and to say, well, you can do it when you're older but not when you're younger, it doesn't make sense. It's not going to make sense because they're feeling older or they're wanting to be older. It's like, well, that's what I'm wanting. So of course I'm going to do. So there is something about that. And how do we, and how do I say that without shaming? I don't, I don't know. Cause I'm not trying to shame, but I'm right, just but trying I, to bring awareness. Exactly. And I think that's really what this is all about. And like you said at the beginning with, you know, having consistent conversations about sex, I think that drugs and alcohol are, equally valid topics to have consistent conversations about because there is an intersection. Um, And to pretend that there isn't is again, that's like sticking our heads in the sand or not dealing with Uh something because we don't know how to, or we don't want to, um, or it feels overwhelming to us. Like these are conversations that we, we have to be having with our kids and have to, and I, and, and again, bringing it back around to just like the moms learning about their own, um, erogenous zones in their own anatomy you know it's like learning about these like why are we drawn to that like what is it that intrigues us so much culturally about alcohol like what are we actually doing when we're engaging in that why are we engaging in that can we can we trace the the source and the root of of that i think is such an important um really valuable conversation to start it really is. It really is. And can I say one more thing about it that just totally. came to my mind? Yeah. About when, let's say, you know, a parent is drinking and, it, you know, it happens. It's not wrong or bad. They're doing it responsibly. So another th- way of saying it is like, yes, I drink, you know, I'm, I'm drinking a glass of wine every night, but just notice the circumstances. I'm not going out in my car. There's no one here who could harm me. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not drinking any more than a glass. So I'm not drinking anything that would alter my, you know, it does relax me a little bit or whatever's true for them. But it's not altering my perception to be able to say yes or no, you know? So just right. like that in itself is a beautiful teaching. Yes. There's a beautiful way of, of holding everything. Um, and a responsible way of holding things, you know, so that totally so it just yeah. came to mind. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. And, um, and thank you for being willing to dive into, um, a topic in a category that isn't necessarily where you hang out a lot, but, um, but being willing to go there with me, I really appreciate that. For sure. And one last thing is when there are certain things like, let's say it's uh, alcohol addiction of a child or it's, um, you know, cutting themselves or certain things or food addictions that are, that are major problems, bulimia or like mm-hmm. that. I always have people, I have people that I refer them to because there's yeah. certain things I know that I can't, that they know they're, they're not in my studies. So I make sure, or if, or if they just got raped or, you know, something like that, which, you know, that hasn't happened yet. I haven't had a client with a child with that yet. But if there, if something like that would come, there's like major, major trauma, I know who to turn them to who's, who's more skilled than I am. 
So yeah, and that is important a, to know. That's super important too. I think to have a referral network and to to recognize where our strengths are and where they aren't, and to not try to make ourselves you know, stand in an area that, that we're not, we don't have a foundation under us for. Um, yeah. so I, I have a lot of respect for you for that. Cause I think a lot of, um, people in this work can have a tendency to think that they can help everybody. And, um, that's not always necessarily true. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's definitely not. And we, di- we dilute the work and we, we step on each other's toes and we, we don't leave room for collaboration when we, when we try to take up space that isn't actually ours to take. Absolutely. So. The collaboration is so, so powerful. And if my intention or our intention is truly the best interest, the highest interest of the other, our client or our client's daughter or however that mm-hmm. is, then we'll let go of that and ter- put them in the right direction. It's like, that's, that's my highest integrity and yeah. uh, vision. Totally. Totally. Oh, well, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I really, again, just appreciate you taking the time out of your day to, to join us here and, um, and for the work that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. It's so needed. And I want there to be like 8,000 of you out there doing this work. <laughs> because Yes, because more and so more. Needed. <laughs> um, will you share uh, your website with us again one more time? Sure, it's www.motherdaughterempowerment.com. Motherdaughterempowerment.com. Erin Delaney, um, thank you again. If there's any, you know, one last pearl you want to give our listeners, um, now would be a great time to do so. Mm. What comes to mind right now is just trust the tenderness and the beauty of this journey. Just, just trust this. Trust your motherhood. Trust your relationship, even the, through the complications. And then yeah. you'll get through it. <laughs> Beautiful. And to our listeners, thank you so much. I love you. Thank you for, for being here, for tuning in. And until next time, go out and love yourself so that you can love the world more deeply. Many blessings. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.